0: Welcome to Ew, that's creepy podcast. In this episode, Melissa will tell Jackie about a case from Scotland involving obsession, dark desires, and vampires. Please be aware that this episode will discuss suicide, assault, cannibalism, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. What is up, creepy cats? Man, it has been a minute. About what, Jack? Three months? Definitely way, way, way too long is all I have to say about that. We, Jackie and I had to take a little break because we just had a lot going on in our personal lives and... And then Melissa got sick for, like, over a month. (laughs) Yeah, I had COVID really bad, so this is the first time I'm able to speak without coughing, and my voice is still a little so-so. And Jackie and I just had some things going on that we needed to take care of, because I feel like you cannot tell these stories of victims and stuff like that if you're not in the right mind space, because you're not going to do anyone any favors by telling a half-assed story, so... Or like not giving the people, the victims, the respect that they deserve. You know, everything is done better when your mental health and your mindset is in the right place. So we are back and we are better at this time. (laughs) Exactly. And you guys know we could not let spooky season go by without dropping some episodes. And so Jackie and I today thought that a good theme would be to talk about... Scary movies that inspired people to do unthinkable things. Exactly. Because when I see a lot of scary movies that start off with based on a true story, I'm always like, but how true? Yeah. What really happened? And I feel like, too, it's always based on a true story, but I don't think there's a lot of talk about the outcome, When especially when young adults see horror movies because they're usually taken to the extreme. I feel like it can really um spark up a lot which is kind of exactly what happens in this story today so i'm going to be telling jackie about it's nicknamed the queen of the damned killing no not queen of the damned yes that's the movie that inspired someone to unfortunately do some horrific things i will talk more about the movie in detail because this (laughs) whole thing revolves around queen of the damned but Um, I also love that book. I was actually, okay, we're going to talk about the book more too, but let me just start then. Let's just get into it. So, and I use a lot of this research from this show. It's called Copycat Killers, and they had a lot of information because there are good articles, but the articles didn't say much about, um, background and everything like that, and the show had a lot of people who worked with the killer and who had, seen them when they were growing up and that kind of thing. So today we are mainly going to be talking about Alan Menzies. Okay, so let me just say that this crime took place in 2002 when Alan was a teenager when he was in high school. And there's not a ton of background about his life. The main things that were brought up in the show in in any of the articles about Alan's life was that he sadly was bullied as a child and he didn't have a ton of friends. The psychologist on the copycat Killers show said that he had a hard time adapting to changes. So I'm not sure if he, if his childhood had a lot of changes due to his parents' jobs or anything, or if he just, as he got older, became more isolated. Due to getting older and how awkward it is. Either way, as Alan got older, he did isolate himself more in his room. Playing more video games, movies, shows. Which I do think it's pretty common, especially for children who are bullied, to have that phase. Or throughout your entire youth where you're, the second you get home, lock yourself in your room. I did that, and I wasn't even bullied. (laughs) I mean, I was depressed, but still, I like that is very common. Yeah, there are a lot of changes going on at that age. But when Alan was in middle school, that was kind of when some people started to notice that it wasn't just I'm going into my room and I'm locking myself away. Alan kind of was fixated on media with darker tones to it. He really was interested in class when they talked about death and war and the Holocaust and things like that. And by age 14, Alan was known to be obsessed with violence. And I read that and I kind of was like, yeesh, that's obviously a little scary. But of course, this is middle school slash early high school. Kids are ruthless assholes. So they just picked on Alan even more because they thought he was weird and his interests were weird. It's really sad because I feel like we all know those students. They're usually the goth kids who are quiet. And in this case, their interests are dangerous. But in most cases, they're just a little weird. And it's so sad that people just like relentlessly bullied Alan and other people who are similar to him. There was an incident. This is really sad, and, like, we're going to get into some deep stuff. There was an incident when Alan was in early high school where he brought a noose to school and showed it to his classmates, which the classmates took it as an implication that he wanted to end his own life, which is so sad. Like, that is really sad. When you're in high school, you're still so young and just so much to live for. Alan... Did not take his life. But his emotions were still running very high. And he kind of had this moment where the sadness he was feeling turned to anger. There was another incident after that first one where Alan brought in a knife to school. I guess there was a bully who picked on him pretty constantly. And Alan just decided that if it happened on that day, Alan was going to retaliate. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. The classmate started to bully Alan and he pulled out his knife and stabbed the classmate once in the abdomen. Oh, geez. I know. The other student did survive. Thank God. Alan did go to court for that. And he told the judge that he had been bullied so often and that basically the stabbing was in self-defense. Which that partially is true. People said he was bullied relentlessly but still i don't think you can fully justify stabbing another student over that yeah (laughs) the judge sentenced alan to three years in a juvenile detention center the psychologist and others on the show said that this juvenile detention center wasn't going to help alan with his issues the psychologist believed that alan at this time needed psychiatric treatment and care he needed to probably get diagnosed with some things. But at the detention center, basically, it was just a holding cell for them. And I'm sure that's not good when Yari was having issues socially. Exactly. And they said um, Alan's parents and, again, the psychologist people who spoke on the show said that he was even more withdrawn after because, obviously, he's in there. With people who I'm sure are all going through a lot of emotions and stuff like that. He's not actually seeing a therapist or getting on any medication. So, but after that whole stint in juvenile detention, Alan did meet a friend at school named Thomas McKendrick. Thomas also had trouble making friends and was said to be pretty withdrawn so, they were in a similar situation with their social status, and they became friends pretty quickly. They hung out frequently to play video games and watch movies. And one night, after playing some video games, Thomas asks Alan if he wants to watch a videotape oh, a man. little movie that had just come out called Queen of the Damned. Oh. So if you don't know, Queen of the Damned was a direct sequel to Interview with the Vampire, which was a movie, a book originally written by Anne Rice. It's one of my favorite books <laughs> ever. I literally have notes in here to ask you questions because I know you love Interview with the Vampire. I love that book so much. And I also, I really, really love the book Queen of the Damned. But for some reason, in my little brain, I thought that... The Queen of the Damned was the third book, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've read them, but two of my favorites. Well, it was a sequel to the movie. I'm not sure about the books. Yeah, but the book follows Lestat, the main vampire in the series, who has now grown bored with human life and sleeps for 200 years, then wakes up to modern society and becomes a singer in a rock band and becomes famous. (laughs) Yep, that's exactly what happens in the book. It sounds kind of cheesy when it's put out like that. Yeah, in the book, it wasn't... Che- I mean, it was kind of cheesy, but at the same time, it was just almost like, if there was a real vampire, what else would they do? Yeah, like, that was, like, extremely attractive. <laughs> that's <laughs> a really good point, actually. What else would you be doing? However, Lestat's singing starts to wake up other vampires, including the first vampire, Queen Akasha. Queen Akasha wants Lestat as her own and wants him to be her second-in-command. But will he? (gasps) And you liked this book a lot. Yep, it was good. It was like, these books are just, the first one was, obviously, they're meant to be sexual tension. But The Queen of the Damned is one where it's just so much sexual tension, but, like, nothing ever happens. (laughs) Oh, they, there's definitely some... And I know that's what people say. Like, the movie is, like, so sexy. Yeah, because it's Aaliyah. Yeah. R.I.P. The beautiful, so talented Aaliyah. Oh, my God. I remember Jackie and I would go to this video store when we were kids, and they had a Queen of the Damned cut out, and I was, like, entranced by it because she looked so beautiful. She literally looks like a queen. That's actually a huge part of this story because as soon as Alan watches it, he is obsessed with Queen Akasha, with actress Aaliyah playing Queen Akasha. He was honestly in love with her, um, even though it was just a character. I mean, this does, if he's still young and, like, high school age, I feel like, again, that is, like, somewhat normal. I mean, it's not healthy for teenagers to just totally obsess. But you do. yeah, he's age eighteen at this time after getting out of the um juvenile center and meeting Thomas. And I do agree he definitely takes it to such an extreme level, but i I have a very obsessive personality, and I do remember seeing shows, movies, and reading books where, It almost becomes your whole life. It almost feels real. You're so attached to it. Exactly. And Alan just became so obsessed with it. After him and Tommy... Sorry. After he and Thomas watched the movie for the first time, he asked to borrow it so he could watch it again. And it was said that Alan began watching the movie every chance he could get. Sometimes even three times in one day. He... I think he's still going to school and stuff like that, so... That's, like, a lot of watching. Yeah, he's not just sitting at home all day, so... He watched the movie over a hundred times within the first month or so of Thomas showing it to him. Oh, my God. he quickly learned every line of the movie, every scene, every moment. Alan started to believe... Now, this is, like, when things... Blurred from what can be a normal teenage obsession into something that was deeper. Alan started to believe that he could hear Queen Akasha speaking to him. Telling him that she needed a king to join her. And then soon he claimed he actually had visions of Queen Akasha in the flesh speaking to him. And yeah, by age 18, this movie was... His entire life, um, Alan's parents started to hear shouting and talking coming from Alan's room when he was in there alone, like he was talking to someone else out loud. They could also hear the movie Queen of the Damned being played nonstop, and they said sometimes they could hear him pause and play a scene over and over again. Oh, that That gives me the chills. Same. Something about people doing things repetitively like that. So his parents are in a really tough spot. Can you blame them? They want to get him out of his room and socializing. And they want him to understand that this is just like media. This is a book. And it's fine to find a community. There are so many people out there who love Anne Rice. But to think, though, that you're seeing Queen Akasha, they were getting worried. I feel like there's usually not things that people experience and it's the first time someone's ever experienced that in their life. Like, if he's that obsessed with that movie, there are definitely other people online or somewhere that are that obsessed and can share in it with you. Remember, I listened to that whole podcast episode where there was a guy who became obsessed with Interview with a Vampire, Mm -hmm. was exploring his sexuality online and eventually did think that they were real because he was talking to people in a chat room. This is also 2002, especially early 2000s. The Anne Rice books were at their peak, and there was a very strong community of people who wanted to roleplay these characters and live in this sexy world of vampires and nightlife. And, mm-hmm. but his parents, the Menzies, were kind of just getting a little frustrated. At dinner one night, they sat Alan down and were just asking questions about his obsession. And Alan responded by trying to convince them that vampires are real. He was saying there's been proof that was found and trying to give them examples. And they, got, they were pretty shocked because they knew he had this obsession with the movie and the books, but they didn't actually think he believed vampires were real. His parents also started to notice that the obsession was becoming real in their physical world as well, not just on a screen. One day, Alan's mother found a raw ox liver in the fridge, just all bloody in a Ziploc bag. She asked Alan, like, what the hell is this? And he said he wanted to eat it as is raw. He was going to eat it raw. That was his plan. I okay, I'm not gonna say anything about these parents because clearly I'm not there, I'm not um their child, but I, <laughs> here comes but <laughs> uh, I would just be so concerned about that, yeah, but I mean, I think it's just one of those things where. Maybe they just thought he was, like, trying to scare them or push boundaries. I don't know. But you can get extremely ill from that. Like, yeah, even if he, he didn't tried. actually eat it once, though. Yeah, and maybe they didn't alert authorities because he didn't actually eat it. But, yeah, it's weird. Lord. One night, Alan awoke to seeing Queen Akasha at the end of his bed, so he claimed. She spoke to him again. But this time she said it was time for Alan to become a vampire. And in order to do so, he needed to murder someone. Alan was so far deep into this obsession. He really did think at this point that vampires were real and that he he wanted to have this beautiful, powerful Queen Akasha and he wanted to be this beautiful, powerful vampire. And so he started to believe that he was going to need to take someone's life in order to do that. The only thing that Alan seemed to keep up in the real world was hanging out with his friend, Thomas. On October 11th, 2002, Thomas came over to Alan's house to hang out. So, unsurprisingly, on this night, Alan asked Thomas if he wanted to watch, letting you guys fill in the blank out there, Queen of the Damned again. Thomas, though, says he doesn't want to watch it again. He has clearly seen it multiple times, and he tells Alan that their friendship should be more than just watching Queen of the Damned and talking about vampires. True. True. Alan was pretty persistent, though, because he basically was just like, I'm turning it on anyway. And so, Thomas began making snarky remarks about the movie, as a teen boy would do. Saying he didn't understand Alan's obsession with it. He didn't understand the obsession with vampires. The movie's not even that good. But then, Thomas started to make some negative remarks about Queen Akasha Okay, wait, Aaliyah or the character Queen Akasha? I mean, does it doesn't really matter at this point? I think he's just—I <laughs> yeah, I think guess not. anything he were to say involving Queen Akasha, we don't know specifically. I believe in the show when they were reenacting it, he was saying like she's not even that great of an actress, okay. or something like that. So it was involving the character, but either way, I don't think it would have mattered. Uh, Alan was pissed he kicked Thomas out of the house said he never wanted to see him again oh that's kind of sad it is sad because it's like I just so much to say about that it is really sad because it's like you have these two friends who are only allowed to be their open selves with one another and one rejects the other so I understand Alan being sad that's his one friend who's telling him this movie is stupid. But, friendship's two-sided. You can't, like, especially if you both met because you're kind of going through it. Yeah, and Thomas is being a good friend by saying, kind of like, dude, this is
1: too he's much.
0: right. Any friendship should be more than one sided. Exactly. Yeah, so I can see where they're both coming from, but the next day, Thomas's parents noticed that he did not come home from Alan's house. Um, classmates noticed that he was not there as well. And the McKendricks became pretty worried because this was not like Thomas to just leave. They thought maybe because they went to Alan's house, of course. And Alan said, we got into this fight and he stormed off and left. So the McKendricks thought, okay, maybe he is upset somewhere, but he's still not coming home and he didn't go to school. And that just was unlike him. So, the McKendricks went to the police, and they told the police everything. They said that Thomas was last seen going over to Alan Menzies' house, and that was where the police went, their first stop on the investigation. But Alan told police when they questioned him, he was straightforward, and he said that he and Thomas got into an argument on October 11th, and that Thomas just stormed out. And Alan didn't know where he went, but he didn't try and call him or anything because of the fight. So the police believed that because it seemed pretty normal for two teens to have a fight and one to storm out. They thought maybe Thomas was hiding out somewhere. Maybe he was maybe he stormed off and went somewhere. Or maybe it was some kind of accident, like in the heat of the moment, he drove away angry or anything like that. So they keep searching for Thomas without being completely horrified, but Alan was said to be rattled when the police left, even though it was just routine questioning. They didn't even like fully come inside. Alan walked away, locked himself away in his room and he wasn't coming out. Alan's dad went in to check on him and he noticed a few drops of blood on the floor. Oh, man. He asks Alan about it and Alan says that he cut himself on accident and his dad thought nothing of it. And I mean, at this time, he probably wouldn't because, again, the police aren't saying, like, Thomas has been murdered or anything, so the dad just thinks that that Alan is upset because Thomas is missing. But this next part is so fucking weird. A few days later, Thomas's mother, Mrs. McKendrick, is at the supermarket and she sees Alan there. Alan walks up to Mrs. McKendrick with cleaning supplies and asks her what product she thinks would clean up blood the best. What the heck? Literally asks Thomas's mom a recommendation to clean up blood. That's, I'm sorry, that has to be on purpose. She was shocked by it and she was pretty freaked out. Immediately, Mrs. McKendrick went to the police and told them about it and just said, That is so odd. And the police dug into Alan a little deeper after hearing that statement. And when they dug in deeper, that was when they actually discovered. Alan's previous conviction for stabbing his classmate so they went through the files and they did see notes about Alan kind of having an obsession for violence sadistic things and now they're a little more worried because his behavior is odd and he has a record The police go back to the Menzies' family house and ask Alan the same questions they had asked before, but with a little more detail. He didn't provide any new information, but they did think he was holding some things in. The Menzies lived in this wooded area, so there was woods behind their house, and the police searched that area because it wasn't their property, so they didn't need a warrant. And when the police were searching behind the Menzies home, they discovered a pair of pants and a T-shirt with blood stains, both which appeared to be the same size of clothing that Thomas would have been wearing when he disappeared. So the police tested the blood found on the clothes, and it was a positive match for Thomas McKendrick. Oh no. Yeah. But I'm glad that the police were smart, though, and, like, searched that wooded area immediately because it definitely, I feel, like, could have been removed um, if they waited longer. So police then return for the third time now to the Menzies family home after finding out the blood was Thomas's. And they tell Alan flat out what they found and that what are the coincidences that your friend who was last seen with you His bloody clothes are found in the woods behind your home. Yeah. Answer that, Alan. This is when his parents step in and say, my son would like a lawyer. Alan didn't budge. He didn't say anything. He maintained that Thomas left and he didn't know what happened after that. And the police were forced to leave without any new info, without an arrest. But the next day, a local hospital called the police and told them that Alan actually overdosed on prescription pills the night before. He did survive, but again, just more seeming like actions of a guilty conscience and not being innocent at all. Police continued to search the wooded area behind the Menzies' home where the clothes had been found. And after searching more thoroughly, police found a shallow grave with remains that seemed to match Thomas's build. A full autopsy was completed, and sadly it was confirmed to be Thomas. And the autopsy, oh my god, get yourself ready. The autopsy also concluded that Thomas had been stabbed over 40 times and his skull had suffered some damage and blunt force trauma. Oh, my. Like, I really, that is very brutal for someone you're friends with. It's just someone who introduced you to this movie. I think that's where it really comes from, where it's this crime of passion, because you really need some passion to be there to do this. But just like thinking about an 18-year-old with so much left to give, thinking that, you know, they could pass in such a way like, it's so sad. I feel so bad for both families in this situation, honestly. Yeah, that is really, really sad on both ends. We'll have our soapbox moment soapbox moment in a few minutes because police waste no time and they go to Alan Menzies' home and he is arrested. And when he's arrested, he just like basically tells them everything. He was so tight-lipped before this, but... Now he's being opened and honest, and he tells police everything about Queen of the Damned, him seeing Queen Akasha, speaking to her. He told police that she would appear before him, and he said that he wanted to be a vampire. Alan told the police that on October 11th that he and Thomas had hung out and that basically everything we had talked about. And he said what really set him off was that Thomas specifically was judging him, saying, you really believe in vampires? And he, again, insulted Queen Akasha. We don't know the specifics, but he did insult her. So Alan believed. And Alan just said he needed to defend his queen. Like, that was why he did this. I think obviously, too, it's definitely deeper rooted of having that one person who accepts you, ha- feeling judged by that person. He didn't say all that, but he said it was all just for Queen Akasha. So when Thomas got up to leave after Alan kicked him out, Alan followed him into the kitchen, grabbed a knife and started to attack Thomas. Alan stabbed Thomas in The face, shoulder, and neck area before Thomas pushed him off. And he ran upstairs through the house. Like, I wonder where the parents were during this. What the hell? They definitely weren't there because there's no way they would cover for him. And they knew. Like, the Menzies' parents had no idea. So they had to have been out. But Alan followed Thomas into his own bedroom where the attack continued. There was a hammer sitting somewhere in Alan's room for whatever reason, and he picked that up and began using it to beat Thomas. When it was all over, Alan said he had to kill Thomas for making fun of his queen. But then he also told police that he knew he needed to murder someone either way in order to become a vampire. Wow. Which, it makes me wonder, like, was there even a fight at all? Or was Alan just waiting for Thomas to say something and do this? I don't know. It's very weird. Like, he said that he knew he needed to murder someone to become a vampire, but just the Queen Akasha remarks were the final straw, I guess. Then... Okay, this part is, like, dark as fuck. After Thomas passed away, Alan was alone in his room and he pushed Thomas onto his side and cut into Thomas's neck and then put a cup below the cut and allowed the blood to like flow into this cup and then he drank it that is sick yeah he actually drank it and And, like oh my god that is just that is so sick because it's like you literally just drink the blood of your friend. It's probably still warm. That's There's how more. this. Oh no. There's more. Okay. He drank two cups of the blood and then he proceeded to remove some of Thomas's brain tissue and ate it. He thought that by doing this, he would become a vampire with his queen. Okay, I don't get nauseous often by gross stuff, but that really just sickens me. I know. That is, I understand that Alan is troubled, but there yeah. has to be a point where your humanity kicks in, mm-hmm. where you remember you're not a vampire, and it's just you're a like, human. And it's just like, at what point are you not thinking, without Thomas, there would be no Queen of the Dam. Like, it's bad enough you're doing this. This is a human being with parents who you know. And I just, I also don't understand, like, I I just don't get it. What do you think happens after you become a vampire, though? Like, I'm sorry, but it's not like in the movies they live modern day and everything's great. That's the whole point of the movie. I know. And it's kind of just like, so he has his two cups of blood and his piece of, yeah... It's just so gross. And then then he just goes out in the woods, digs a shallow grave, brings Thomas to it, spreads the clothes out, goes home and starts cleaning up. It's it, just like, you're 18, dude. You're doing all of this just before your parents get home to your best friend. I'm also like, where are the parents that he had time to do all of this? I don't know. In the, all right, okay. So, as you can imagine, Alan did go to trial for this. The neighborhood was shocked. Everyone was shocked because who could ever imagine something like this happening in real life? Alan claimed he was under the spell of Queen Akasha, and that's why he committed murder. Also, during the trial, Alan would send letters to his friend. Okay, sorry. I don't mean to laugh because the story is just horrible. But he would send letters to his friends and family and sign it as VAMP. V A M P It was also said that Alan threatened to kill again and he even once said something along oh this part is just like what the actual hell? At some point during either the trial or his police interrogation, he said something along the lines of I may get thirty years, but I will always have his soul. Ew, I know. Actually very scary. In the end, though, the jury did not believe that Alan was insane at the time. Sorry, I should have said that, that, that was his defense. Or though, <laughs> that that was assumed that that was his defense. He tried to say that he could not tell right and wrong. And his lawyers tried to paint this picture of him being so obsessed with this movie that he really did think vampires were real. And I'm sorry, it's, I mean, a lot of people in the true crime world know that, like, uh, not guilty by reason of insanity is so hard to prove. Like, even people who truly are worse off, I'd say, than Alan, it is so hard to prove. Yeah. And it's like, too, let me just, I feel like when it came down to it, it was kind of one of those things where even if the jury believed that Alan believed he was a vampire, vampires still know that killing is wrong. That's the yep. thing is, even if you were under the spell, everyone who's ever gotten into vampire lore knows that they know killing is wrong. It's not just like you are, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like that doesn't even make sense that yeah. you were obsessed because you went out, you went to bury the body if you were insane at the time, you wouldn't have thought to do all those things. So, just too much evidence pointing to that not being the case. Yeah, and it's almost like if you're saying you knew you had to do it for Queen Akasha, it's almost like you're saying you know what you did. hmm Yeah, you knew it was wrong. And you also literally told the police you had to kill somebody to become a vampire. So, still, you know what you're doing, and you know that it's wrong. Facts. Alan was sentenced to life in prison. Tragically though, after just one year behind bars, he took his own life. Ugh. Which that was sad too, because now it's two families who lost their sons at such a young age. And it just really- had so much in common. Yeah, and it really it's really hard for me in these types of stories. I know a lot of other cases, you know, when it's someone behind bars and they've so clearly done it, it's easy to be like, well, F them. But with someone who is that young, it's really like, did they ever get an opportunity to heal? Like, did they yeah. ever... Did Alan even get the proper resources that he ever needed? I mean, what he did we'll never bring back Thomas mm-hmm. and we'll never make it okay. But I yeah. Mean, it's two almost... young people going now who both probably didn't get the help that they needed. Exactly. It's even sad because I feel like even in prison, Alan could have grown up and saw that what he did was wrong and tried to make more of himself in prison. So it's just sad. And I feel so bad for the McKendricks. Like, Thomas did nothing wrong. And it's just so sad that these two outcasts who had so much in common just had this horrible obsession come between them. And I also could not imagine Mrs. McKendrick. Like, I would be traumatized to go to the supermarket thinking of that encounter. That was really like, I don't know what was wrong with Alan for that. That to me, where that's also just like, you know, you knew what you were doing. You knew it was wrong. How can you say? How can you say you didn't when you purchased cleaning supplies and And asked her specifically about it? Yeah. Not to keep like riding on that, but also I wanted to say the psychologist interviewed on the Copycat Killer show made a point at the very end. He said, Clearly, Alan knew he was not a vampire because he wouldn't have taken his own life if he thought that he was that wasn't at the time of the killing, but he still afterwards was claiming, like, holding up on his belief. So, just once again, the evidence just proves that you knew it was wrong. But that is what most people refer to as the Queen of the Damned killing, the UK vampire killing, all this stuff, but just a really sad and tragic story. And also, I just think that It goes to show everyone how much media can impact you. Let me know if you guys have heard of this case. I know, again, it's across the pond in the UK. I had never heard of it before. Um, But it's pretty shocking. So I think I'm about to go. No, I'm not watching Queen of the Damned. I can't watch that. But I might go read Interview with a Vampire and see what Lestat is all about. Oh my god, that book is so good. All of them are really good, but ugh, clearly, if you're gonna read them, keep in mind that they are completely made-up stories. Yeah, seriously. Anne Rice is a genius. <laughs> that Anne Rice. And just sending so much love to the McKendricks and the Menzies. Like, again, just using, losing two sons at such a young age. Just, I couldn't even imagine. But, um, let us know What you guys thought of this episode? What you think of this case? If you ever have known someone who had an obsession with something that became their whole life, we could definitely do more episodes about that too. Yeah, totally. Let us know what you guys want to hear. Now that we are back and better with the podcast, updated podcast. Let us know if there's anything in particular that you guys want to want us to cover, any cases or any themes. Yep, and Jackie will be here next episode to tell us about another movie obsession that spun into real life. Clearly, this happens more than we thought. It sure does, but we hope you guys enjoyed our first episode back off our little hiatus, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening, and we hope you're having a great spooky season. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? follow us on social media at Ew that's creepy podcast or send us an email at EwThat's that's creepy podcast at gmail.com don't forget to rate review and subscribe thanks creepy cats